Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is Eat Sleep Work Repeat, a podcast about making work better. Hello, I'm Bruce Aisley. This is the second new episode today. It's an in-depth discussion with Andrew Barnes. Andrew Barnes is a British New Zealand businessman who run a company that he turned onto a four-day work week. If you're interested in four-day weeks, this is a follow-up episode to the previous one where I chatted to Alex Sujung Kimpong, who's written a book on doing just that. In February 2018, Andrew Barnes won headlines for taking his company, Perpetual Guardian, to a four-day work week. At the end of the trial, the company announced that productivity had gone up, stress had gone down, and the trial was a resounding success. Andrew's turned his experience into a book called The Four Day Week. As the previous episode covered some of these themes, I wanted the opportunity to pick the brains of someone who'd been there. If you're interested, a summer trial of this might go down a treat. If you're interested, go to the show notes of this podcast and you'll see a PDF. Or you can also go to eatsleepworkrepeat.com forward slash fix your work. And in both places, there's a PDF with all of the research, the roadmap that Andrew went on and Alex's advice on the themes that you might want to consider. If you like this, and I never normally do this, but please rate the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Just go to the podcast page for Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat, and there's an opportunity to give it a star rating. You don't have to do any more than that. You don't have to write a comment. Just that five-star rating encourages Apple to put the podcast in front of more people. No more chatter. Here's my chat with Andrew Barnes. I'm Andrew Barnes. I'm the founder of Perpetual Guardian and also, I guess, now the architect of the four-day week. And you found yourself, I think, not necessarily coming at the story of four-day weeks thinking this is a workplace perk, but more through a different channel. And you tell a vivid story of how maybe all of us are seeing that work is becoming more demanding. And you saw it directly through the experience of your boss. So I wonder if you could kick us off by sort of explaining that. Sure. I'm a creature of the 80s in a way, in that I started my professional career in the city of London. In those days, Big Bang had just occurred. We were trying to out-American the Americans. And what that basically meant is that we were coming up for, you know, seven o'clock meetings in the morning and quite often we wouldn't leave until our boss left, which was after 7.30 at night, which meant I'd miss my train and I would then get a 9.30 train home at midnight. I naturally assumed that my boss was an asshole. What actually was happening is that he was struggling under exactly the same pressure that I was and that he was having to prove himself to his superiors. You know, in my early 20s, I watched this chap 
basically break down in front of me with the pressure of the work that he was under. That was one of two breakdowns that I've seen in front of me in financial services. And what did that breakdown in your boss's case look like? Well, he just basically um, started to cry, fell apart really in front of me. I mean, I was very, very early 20s. This was a very experienced banker in his 40s. Uh, maybe late 40s, I would suggest. But the pressure was absolutely unrelenting. I mean, I I ignored the lesson. I'd like to say I didn't. Of course, I totally and utterly ignored it for the rest of my 20s. I then broadly probably ignored it for my 30s as well. And it was really only until I got into my 40s that I changed my approach to leadership because it's way too easy to just keep doing what you've always seen. So let's take a step back because we're going to go into the methodology that you introduced and how you set about it. Do you want to just give us a, a perspective on some of the trends that we're seeing with with regard to how people are thinking about these things differently? Either, you know, the I, I think one of the things you talk about is you talk about, you know, how... Uh, working hours are becoming longer. The US are working longer than ever. We're finding ourselves. The, the the hard evidence is that work is becoming more demanding than ever before. Yeah, that's right. Uh, um, you know, for the first half probably of the 20th century, you actually did see a little bit of a progressive reduction in working hours. Um, and then you get to the second half of the 20th century and it broadly goes into reverse. And certainly goes into reverse in uh, the US and the United Kingdom, and especially the US is probably the, the worst offender in this. And then what we've had on top of that, so that's known working hours, but then on top of that, you have the problem of always being on. The fact that your smartphone is in your pocket, your boss can send an email any time of the day or night, um, you can do work any time of the day or night. And so now what we're finding is that not only is the actual working week increasing and, and you know, that's broadly across the whole of the, the developed and developing world, but at the same time, you've then got this problem of always on. And so what you're seeing is um, probably more stress, mental health issues in the workplace than ever before. The statistics basically say that between one in four and one in five of the workforce at any point in time have a stress or mental health issue. And that's not in sm- a small part to the fact that you do not have any downtime. Yeah, I think you said that 57% of uh, sick days in the UK are stress-related now. So it's the single biggest cause of, of, of sickness. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. I think it's 15 million lost person days per annum in the UK. And you do wonder, actually, I, I don't know the methodology there, but you do wonder if the number might be even higher than that because the shame of admitting that you've got a stress-related sickness. Yeah, I think that's 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 very fair comment because what you're seeing now is you're starting to see um, mental health issues being discussed and there are more CEOs that are coming out. I think it was the Lloyd CEO here mm. came out and, and had a uh, quite a discussion of the impact that he, the mental health issues and the stress issues had on him. But that's still a big stigma attached to that. So I think you're absolutely right. For every CEO who's saying actually it's okay, and we do a lot of work in mental health and in my own business, for every CEO that's okay on that, there's probably half a dozen that aren't. So I think it's... Uh, I think you're right. This is a very underreported issue. 
So, so let's go into it. I want to come back to CEOs and the impact that CEOs have on changing the narrative on this because you, you give a couple of examples. But so let's go directly into how you found in your company, you found yourself creating an experiment. And, you know, I, I want to sort of go step by step. So anyone listening to this might be in a zone where they might think, gosh, this is a dream going down to four days a week. And f the first thing that was really interesting for me was that you set about doing it not out of a retention policy, not out of a employee perk. In fact, you're cautious on anyone who sets about it for those reasons. You set about doing it because of productivity. Hmm. And you believed that if people were, what, more focused, they could be more productive. Yeah, look, this is the, uh, you know, it's the it's the bloke on a plane story, basically. I read a an article from the UK Economist magazine, which essentially said that Brits were productive for two and a half hours a day and Canadians for one and a half hours a day. And I thought, wow, that's interesting. First of all, why? And secondly, more to the point, is that occurring in my business? Mm. And the why, you can very quickly get to that. You know, you come into the the office, you have a cup of coffee, you have a chat, you sit down, do some emails, you get sidetracked, surf the internet, start doing some work. People interrupt you. And statistically, people get erupted, interrupted every 11 minutes. And then it takes them a further 20 odd minutes to get back to full productivity. So you start to look at all of this stuff and you say, well, actually, I can suddenly see why actual true productivity is not that high. And that was my start point. So I thought that if I gave an incentive of something that people really valued, in my view, which was time, could I see a change of attitude as far as the staff are concerned and a change of how they worked and a change in process methods and probably a reduction in, in busyness if I actually gave them that day off. And that was the starting point. It was absolutely nothing to do with work-life balance and everything to do with a little bit of a scientific experiment to see what would happen. Now, I didn't predict what would happen. I naturally assumed that we might struggle through a couple of these things, but what we found was, you know, engagement scores went up 40% to levels which the researchers, because we got some academics to run alongside the trial, said were the highest levels they'd ever seen in New Zealand, stress levels dropped 15%, um, more people said they were better able to do their job working four days and five, and our productivity went up. So, so... If anyone is listening to this thinking, right, I want a roadmap to do it, the first lesson is there. You start with an experiment. You start with a, a something that is not saying these are the new norms. You start with something which is we're going to dip our toe in the water. Look, I, my first approach to this was to say to the staff, I have got this crazy idea. And in fact, it was so crazy, my head of HR deleted the email in which I sent to her saying, I've got this idea because she said there's no way we're going to do this. This is mad. And my leadership team, my board of directors, uh, to a person said I was mad. But I basically said to the staff, here is a challenge. I think this could be an interesting idea. I don't know how to do it. So I want you to go away and think about what you would do differently if you had to do your job in four days rather than five. And then we'll run a couple of month trial in the end where we'll see what happens if we implement this. And, and the, the principle here is not for 
longer days. It is four normal days. So you basically, we call it the 180-100 rule. 100% pay, 80% time, provided we get 100% productivity. Right. And so... The next thing is, how did you measure the productivity part? Because one of the, the biggest challenges of modern work is productivity, right? That it's so nebulous that we we find ourselves working longer and doing longer days in an attempt that, because there's no easy way to measure productivity, it seems like a good proxy for productivity. So how did you measure it? Well, well I think that's exactly the point, if I may say. The, frankly, nobody really has decent measures for productivity in the modern workplace, unless you are manufacturing widgets. When you're sitting in certainly the service industries, which make up you know, clearly the bulk of, of Western economies, I put it to you that very few people really know what productivity is. What we did is we said to the teams, as part of this exercise, we want you to tell us how we should measure you. Now, if I'm being brutally honest, whether you get really good measurements out of that is is probably a little bit up for debate. But you certainly get a better appreciation of what people actually do and how you should measure them as a consequence of that. The easiest way at the end of the day, though, is I go straight to the, the very top. I look at, has my revenue gone up? Has my Have my profits gone up? Is my revenue per employee going up? Are my uh, net promoter scores improving? Is my customer service? Got it. Things there must are be a lag in those stats. Well, there is, but they keep going up, okay. right? So I don't have that problem. But what we did at the same time... And you we... wouldn't have been tempted to do a control group and a... No, I think you, you can in big companies. I remember this wasn't planned, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Now I we would quietly say, if you're a big company, yeah, try it in a department, do this. And it's turned itself into a far more scientific mm. exercise exercise. Frankly, I just thought, mm, hey, why don't we try this, see what happens, give it a go. We've got 240 people, you know, let's let's just see what happens. So all of the rest of this, which we're now delving in and coming out with the sort of the, the detailed scientific outputs, this was not even vaguely on my horizon when I started this. And so people are doing their job. Now, it's not... Sp- and we're going to come on to the Friday thing. It's not specifically that they're taking Friday off, but they're they're doing their job in four days out of five. One of the things that you commented on, it's almost an aside really, but it's an illustration of how pervasive work is. You said a few people struggled to know what to do with the extra time, which is actually a good cautionary note about how workers really become our identity, right? Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. On average, it took people about three weeks to get to grips with it. And in fact, there are some people to this day, we don't make it compulsory in the company, you can choose to work five days. Surprise, surprise, we have some people who work five days. Um, Interestingly, if you look at the Microsoft experiment in Japan last year, one of the key things that they did for their employees was actually run programs on how to spend your day off. Now, that indicates, I mean, I know Japan is a, has a particular problem with overwork, but that actually is an indication of the issue. You know, people aren't used to having time. A whole modern society is structured around not having time and therefore having lots of hacks, you know, um, Uber Eats or whatever it is, to enable us to thrive, live, do things, but when we're time poor. 
So when you actually suddenly become time rich, yeah, it's a problem. Mm. But I think you described the Japanese culture in one stage and just forgive me for sort of taking aside. We say the Japanese culture is that it almost celebrates the last person to leave the office mm. is the winner. Yeah. And so in that Microsoft one and you know that they've <laughs> they've gone down to four days a week in yours if you, to, to extend those two things across, in yours, if it's not compulsory, then couldn't you end up with the most ambitious person in the office thinking, well, someone's just given me a pass here because now I can do far more. I seem like I'm a high flyer because I'm going to work five days. Yeah, the only people in my company who are obligated to take a four days, and that's four normal days, not four longer days, are my senior leadership team. Oh. And my senior leaders and their team leaders are gold and rewarded on whether their staff are on four days. So if you backslide to the old five days, far from that being something that shows that you're doing a great job, that questions your ability to motivate, manage and lead. Oh, that's an important detail, actually. That's really interesting. So you've, got, you've transitioned people... Could you, could you explain what their their job looks like on a day-to-day basis so I can understand? Is it dealing with customers? Is it dealing with internal people? It's all and any of the above. The best way to look at Perpetual Guardian is to say that we look broadly like a cross between a bank and a legal services firm. We have call centres. We have branches, retail branches. We have people who are dealing with internally. We are part of the New Zealand capital markets framework. We're a supervisor. So we do a raft of different things. The reality is, however, that regardless of what you do, we have said to the staff, tell us how you will redo that in four days rather than five. And we don't take everybody taking Friday or everybody taking Monday. It's generally either a a rolling day off, which the teams sort out, or in fact, you can work five days compressed hours, or you can do two afternoons off. We're pretty flexible on how you do it. The principle is that your amount of time that you spend working should be 80% of the time that you were before. And that therefore means even if you're a a one-day, two-day, three-day, four-day a weeker, you can drop down to 80% of that time. Right. Um, And so one of the things that I've heard from companies that have gone to four days a week is they describe to me how they enter into a process optimistically and then very quickly they realize that the worlds that they are trying to jigsaw into, that they're trying to to slot into, unfortunately isn't on a four-day week. And very quickly they realize uh, this just doesn't work. And so how did you overcome that? Well, well, <clears throat> I'll answer that in two ways. First of all, I'll give you a story out of Australia, which is really interesting. There's an accountancy firm in Australia that moved to a four-day week. Very, very quickly, a number of the team members came and said, you know, uh, I'd like to actually do my four days, including Saturday and Sunday. And so that firm moved to seven days a week. So far from customer service going backwards, it actually improved. Now, the logic as well is I have people who will say, well, look, actually, can I come in a little later? Because I'd rather work my hours a little later on in the day. And you get some people who would say, I might want to work earlier in the day. Over time, I actually see that what this will do is that companies actually will be able to better serve their customers because people will start to say, actually, this is when those hours, reduced hours work for me. 
we are fixated on nine to five. That's the problem. We're not actually saying that the way we work Mm. has to has to sort of change. For our own company, the clear issue for us is that customer service could not go backwards. It had to be maintained. So again, uh, we had a couple of two-person branches on the South Island of New Zealand. Now, if, if that you'd gone to four days a week, which we were doing, theoretically, in that branch, two days a week, there would only be one person. Right. That branch buddied up with another branch of two persons on the South Island on their own volition. They worked out a roster, so there was always one senior person on duty, one junior person on duty. Most of the business happens over the phone. Actually, bizarrely, the minimum number of people answering telephone calls then went up from two to three. So talk, let's go. Let's use that as a, a trigger to sort of go through some of the successes. So what worked? You said that... Engagement went up. You said the what else? What else changed? So engagement scores. That's uh, engagement, enthusiasm, loyalty, uh, resilience. All of those scores, which is how your employees are viewing your business, they went up forty percent, four zero in one year. No, in two months. Okay, okay, and they've stayed up. Right, because. What we're doing is, you know, nobody wakes up in the morning and says, you know, I want to be work for a trust company. Mm. I mean, we do death. It's really dull, right? And yet, we now have accused of people around the block wanting to work for the right. company because what we're doing, how we're going about our job is interesting and exciting. We also then saw that stress levels, as measured, dropped 15%. And then we had this piece of research that also said that people were better able to do their job working four days rather than five. Now, I can say this with confidence because what we did is we brought in Auckland University of Technology and we brought in Auckland University Business School and they ran independent research alongside the trial and we continue to have some research to this day to assess what was happening because, of course, I had to show up in front of my board of directors and say, actually, you know, this makes sense. We're actually getting better outputs mm. as a consequence of doing this. And so, you know, the research was a bit of a fluke. I thought it was an interesting idea. And we had a researcher reach out to us and said, yeah, actually, this would be interesting. Read about it on the, in the newspaper, saw it on TV. Um, and so actually that's something else that we now recommend for companies. What, if you measuring? can, get somebody to do some independent measurement alongside, right. especially if you're a larger company. Right. So let's go through some steps because you give some pointers of how other companies might set about doing this. So you've you've had people come to you and say, we're going, we're getting rid of Fridays and, and various things like that. So let's work through it. Sure. If, if someone was sitting here now going, we want to try this four-day week experiment. So you've mentioned a couple of things along the way. Mm -hmm. Let's work through sure. the stages. What would you advise them to do? Well, first of all, it's got to come from the top. Okay. You cannot have a situation that leadership turns around and says, we're going to bring in a four-day week, but it doesn't apply to me. So you have to do it. You have to do it. The leadership has to do this because otherwise you're absolutely right. People will go, well, actually they're saying do this, but actually this is a test to see whether I'm committed or not. And actually they're not doing it. So 
I'm not going to do it either. And you will see time and time again, when companies introduce flexible working policies, they collapse because often they depend upon the attitude of the immediate leader for the team to determine whether right. or not give it. So number one, you got to be prepared to do it yourself. Secondly, you have to have a very open, honest conversation with your workforce. Um, and if you, if you, I think somebody posted the the original talk that I did to the staff when I did this, and I I said, look, this is a pact between me and you. It's that I will. I will gift you this day off a week, but you've got to take this seriously as well. Because if you don't take it seriously, this is going to fail. So we have to have, you have to understand that this is, you know, I'm going to give you this gift provided you deliver your side of the bargain. And to be explicit on this, if people don't live up to their productivity deal, you do take it back down. Yes, we do. Because in, in the, part, again, we fluked this a bit, but New Zealand employment legislation, as it is around the world, um, is quite prescriptive as to normal hours and days of work. And, and the problem is when you're gifting a different day off each week, um, the problem is it doesn't fit into that legislation. And the other problem is the French experience. So the French reduced the working week to 35 hours. Initially, productivity kicked up. And then it dropped again because people didn't change their behavior in each of the hours. So I have to be able to say to people, actually, the deal is you'll produce this productivity. If you do it in four days, good. You have the day off. If you don't, I have the right to say, we'll come in on the fifth day. Now, I've only ever had to do that once. I'm, I'm just, I just want to really pinpoint. So that productivity might be for someone to, <coughs> to sell a certain number of policies. Or uh, I'm just trying to, mm. to get specific for your business. Or to, to sell it's, a certain amount or no, to do it's a not, certain amount. Mostly it's not selling. We're not okay. a selling company. Selling's easy to judge. And you'll often find that the top salespeople don't work five days a week anyway mm. because they totally understand, you know, how you actually achieve sales. And often a bit of that is non-work work sometimes. So, no, ours is, you know, it might be it might be how many documents producing. It might be how many calls or processes you're working with another so department. people working in branches, what would theirs be? Well, theirs is broadly down to the profitability, productivity of the branch. Okay. I mean, it's as simple as that. Got it. And making sure that the branch customer service standards remain what okay. they are. It, it's a bit ad hoc. Remember, hey. the real reason you're asking people to focus on how they are measured, bizarrely, is not to measure them. It is actually to say to the staff, and this is the next point of, of the step, which is you say to people, how shall you be measured, is so that they actually appreciate what it is they're doing in a week. And then to think about what they shouldn't be doing in a week. So, you know, one of the, the experiences from Japan in Microsoft was that they said, look, no more than five people in a meeting, no meeting more than half an hour. Now, the output of that was 39.9% improvement in productivity because there was an awful lot of dead time with people doing things that is non, or was either non-productive or is just plainly not to do with work. We found, for example, that the amount of time spent surfing on the top five internet sites in New Zealand, non-work related, dropped 35%. Got it. So people started to change behavior. 
right? So what you're really saying when you say think about what you're doing is what am I doing in my day that isn't actually work-related? But can I put... A- and then what are you doing in your day and how does what I do impact you and vice versa? But can I put a challenge to you? Because one of the things that you say, so the, the website thing is really fascinating because to some extent what we're broadly saying is that with those websites, we are... Whether we realise it or not, it's it's a leisure activity that's re-energising us. And you give a statistic, which is a really interesting one, that the most productive people are broadly have a pattern of behaviour where for every 52 minutes of work, they take seven, 17 minutes mm-hmm. of rest. That's really interesting because it suggests that um, there's a yin-yang to work yeah, and rest. There is. And... What I wonder in your model here is, aren't we optimistically believing that by moving the rest to one day a week, that that, that human behaviour has somehow been changed? Well, the latest re- piece of research on productivity in a workday in the United Kingdom indicates that Brits are broadly actually productive about three hours a day. Yeah, I saw that for America as well, actually. Yeah. So Okay, so your workday day is seven seven hours of productive time and an hour for lunch, eight hours. And of that, three, you're actually doing work. So actually it's four hours of socialization or downtime or relaxation. I'm not trying to shift this to move from three hours to seven hours. Actually, if my math is right, I only have to find 45 minutes of additional productivity on your original three hours in each of those four days to give me the same productivity for the week. Now, actually, I'm getting probably slightly more than 45 minutes of better productivity. I just know, though, I'm a runner. And if I said to myself, all I need to do is I need to use 25% more energy running and I'd be way better and you can use a lot less. It just doesn't work like that. Yeah, but remember, this isn't about that. This is about things like, for example, we have things that you put a flag in a pot so that for that period of time, you are not to be disturbed. Now, if you're working on the assumption that you get disturbed every 11 minutes and then it takes you 20 minutes to get back up to full productivity, that hour of not being disturbed in a day, I didn't come up with that solution they did, by the way, that hour actually is the equivalent of, you know, two hours, maybe three hours of normal working. Mm. Having simple things that... Does it make work more isolated? No, what we did is we actually made our we made our canteen bigger. Okay. Right? And we redesigned our floor. It was, again, by a fluke. We were doing it in the midst, midst of this. Redesigned it so we have a much bigger canteen. It's like a big cafe. We actually said to people, but don't have your lunch at your desk because that's when you do your calls, right? Mm. Actually, go and have your lunch with your mates in the canteen thing. But what that then does is if you're sitting at your desk having your lunch and doing the call to the kids or trying to track down a plumber or whatever, you're disturbing all the people around you. We then had things like, let's not have little breakout tables in the areas where the desks are. Let's put it over there and put sound baffles around it. These are lots and lots and lots and lots of very small hacks that don't, that actually, funnily enough, encourage far more team building. All the scores, by the way, on team cohesion and team building and appreciating your colleagues all went up 40% as well. It's actually to say that the open plan office is possibly the single most effective destroyer of productivity in the modern world. And you wouldn't have debated going one more and getting rid of the open plan office? Uh, 
no, we we didn't. Um, but that's not to say that down the track you might not have that discussion that you might do that, right? Um, uh, equally, we, one of the things that you can reflect on is more people can work at home, and we still allow that even as part of our four-day week. So the, 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 the trial is, why the trial is so critical when we're doing this is this is the thing that identifies all of those small things that you can change which will improve the productivity. Mm. And they're generally driven by the staff. So the next rule is don't try and solve the problem as a chief exec. Very, very tempting. That's why you're in the hot seat. You sit there and go, well, I will solve the problem. But if you try and solve the problem, it will not work. The, the staff have to own the changes, find the changes. That's the issue here. And so one firm ca came to you and they said, I think two firms came to you and they said, yeah, yeah, we're going to do this. We've worked out, we're getting rid of Friday. And you said, I knew instantly this was going to fail. And I, in fact, it felt like they didn't even reach the full rollout. Yeah, that's true. Uh, we had one company here in the U group in the UK that uh, that analysed it to death, worked out all the solutions possible, and then couldn't convince themselves that the solutions wouldn't work. So then would work. So then they didn't do it. And that's the problem. You know, you have to you have to try it. It's it's the essence. You you put a hypothesis out there. You you know, test it, and then you see what the results are at the end of the day. And, and, and a, you know, another company came to us and they were going down that path. And our advice was quite simply, don't overthink this. Mm. Do not overthink it. You know, put the principle out there, allow the team to come up with a solution. And that makes leaders quite vulnerable, frankly, because this is not something you normally do. But if you do it, you'll get the benefit of it. And, and, and the, the, the key point, and it leads off the trial, is what's the worst that can happen? Mm. So the worst that can happen is the you can... End, you. Well, for a trial, eight weeks, you know, I very much doubt it mm. because you're sitting there saying, actually, we're just going to try this and see what happens. Now, it gets... Um, you will get probably better understanding of your productivity drivers. You will get probably more enthusiastic team members. And even if your productivity went down, you've got those two things which you can use to improve your business going forward. Now, the reality is any business organizational change runs the risk of failure. Mm. The only reason, and you know, and let's face it, people come in, they get highly paid consultants, they restructure the business, and then it doesn't deliver the outcome. You run that risk time and time again. The only reason that people are looking at me and saying, Andrew, you're completely mad, is because I'm saying that the process improvement is called working less. If you look around the world, the companies that are introducing this and they're across jurisdictions, industries, they're both large and small, productivity improvements are between 30 and 50%. Now, if I said I've got a process improvement idea, which will give you 30 to 50% improvement, you go for it. It's only because it involves working less that you look at me and go, you're an idiot. Mm. More from my chat with Andrew Barnes after this. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. 
Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Now, more discussion on the four-day week with Andrew Barnes. And, and why do you think the French system failed? Well, quite simply because it wasn't linked to productivity. Right. You know, we don't call ours a work-life balance policy. We call it a productivity policy. We're quite clear, you know, I've got shareholders, I've got a board, I've got to produce an outcome. So I've got to be able to deliver that. That's what ultimately pays the salaries. It's ultimately we, you know, we produce profits, we pay tax on the profits, we need taxes to pay for society, the things that society thinks is important. I, I can't trade that. So what I've said is I, I'm not going to trade productivity. All I'm saying is give me the same and do things differently. So if someone came to you and said, uh, actually, I'm pretty cool with coming in every day, but I want to leave at three o'clock every day or, or half past three every day, is that a goer? Of course it is. Okay. We, we, the greatest stories in my company are the blokes. Uh, I have uh, one chap who will tell the story. He now takes, he takes afternoons off or the bits of the afternoons off so he can pick his his kids up from school but he tells the story of picking his child from school up for the very first time and this this child runs across the playground throws her arms around the guy and says daddy what are you doing here now that's pretty cool i've got another chap down in dunedin and he walks home two afternoons a week his granddaughter comes around with his daughter he then does little things with his granddaughter two afternoons a week daughter comes back at five o'clock they have a meal together and when he tells the story he cries that's what this does. Mm. Now, the point is, it means so much. Are you going to prejudice this deal, this productivity for time deal? Or are you going to say, actually, that is so important. I am going to do everything possible to keep this. I mentioned that we would talk about CEOs because there's something instructive in the way that CEOs often behave. You describe, I always dig her out on this podcast, so I've, I feel reluctant to mention it, mm. but you describe Cheryl Sandberg, how she used to sneak off from yep. work. And in fact, it was only when an article got published of her working hours that she probably hadn't intended it to, to go so viral. Um, she was forced to confront it. And you talk about Elon Musk's 80 hours, and I always dig him out as well. But um, wh why is it that CEOs often try to paint this idea that working longer is working better? Because I think we have been conditioned to think it is. That's how we got where we are. I, I will quite clearly say 
that's how I got to senior positions in the businesses I worked for, because that was the norm. That's what you had to do. Now, in the tech era, you know, the guys working 24-7 in a garage, that was what they had to do. So by definition, that's what I'm going to do. But the problem is, and, and Musk is a, is a case in point, I mean, the man's a multi-billionaire. He wants to work 100 hours a week. Knock yourself out, mate. But the guy working on the shop floor isn't getting hundreds of billions of dollars. He's getting a wage. And actually, what's important to him, the risk-reward that that individual gets is different. And you can't apply the same standard to that individual as you can if you're getting all the benefits of it. Because all you're doing, basically, is you're borrowing his life and you're using it to line your own pocket. I don't think that's right. Are there any other bits of advice that you'd say, you know, these are the things that you've got to bear in mind? There is no right answer to this. And what works for me may not work for you. You know, if your average working week in your company is 60 hours, don't try and get it to 40. How about, you know, I don't know, dropping it to 52. It, it, you know, do what's achievable. Mm. This is a, we know, the four-day week is a bit clickbaity. What we're really talking about is a rebalancing of the amount of time we spend working and the amount of time we don't spend working. And it's my uh, contention that the balance is out of kilter. And what's happening is that is in turn knocking on into a whole pile of areas like, you know, mental health, like congestion, like climate change, um, um, gender pay is another issue. You know, all of these things are impacted because of the way we have designed the working week. Now, I say designed, uh, we probably fell into it rather than designed it. You know, we had all that evolution of the reduction in working hours throughout the, the 19th century. Get into the 20th century, broadly no further evolution. We then have the fourth industrial revolution, no change in how we work. That doesn't make sense to me. Since you've done this... We, are you like a reluctant poster boy for this? Are you? It, did you intend to sort of be the person banging the drum? Because I guess we've not seen a lot of companies flock towards this new way of working, haven't we? No, I clearly didn't expect to be. I thought that we were. You know, I remember our, our, our PR people at the time when I suggested it said, oh, "Look, I think, I think we'll get a story on the New Zealand." morning show and we'll get maybe an article in in the local paper the the, the Auckland paper it, it's been quite a ride just why have not more companies oh, yeah. not adopted so yeah. for example in the UK these there's an organization called the Welcome Trust and if you search four day week you'll see that yeah, they got loads of coverage because they were moving they to didn't, it they, were they the didn't one, to it. they were the one that didn't even launch yeah right so they but then on the other hand if you look at uh, Henley Business School has produced a report on hundreds of new, of UK companies that have moved to the four-day week with massive positive improvements. Now, what you actually have is that I have the luxury of broadly owning my business. I have the luxury of being able to talk about it. There are a lot of companies that the people who run those businesses and they've moved successfully to four-day weeks, they're still working in the company. I don't really work in my business anymore. I've got a chief executive who runs it. He, he's on four days. So if they were to spend their time talking about it, they wouldn't 
be doing and running their businesses. So they are supporters, and you will find them the length and the breadth of the country, who are supporters of the four-day week, but they're not as evangelical about it because they haven't got the luxury of time. You then have some very large organizations, and the largest that is looking at it and trialing it in the UK has between 20 and 30,000 employees. What sector? I'm not telling you. If I told you, I'd have to kill you. So the reality is it's, it, that they don't want to talk about it publicly yet until they know that it's going to work. Mm. Now, they've done an initial trial which worked. They're now in another phase of the trialling, much broader across the organisation. So you're saying this this isn't dependent on a blind optimism in human nature. What what I, I suspect naysayers would say is the French experience is not a isolated one. People might initially work harder, but as soon as they've got the notion that this is now the new norm. But it's not the new norm because you can work five days a week. That's what your contract says. So you decide that you want to, you know, go back to the old way. I'm delighted that you will do that and you'll just come in five days a week because I pay you for what you produce, not how long you do, you take to produce it. So you're right, the French thing was wrong because it didn't link it to productivity. You look at the recent UK election campaign, four-day week was put out there by Jeremy Corbyn, didn't talk about productivity until I think the last week of the campaign. Mm. Wrong, wrong. This is about productivity. I'm, I'm not a... Look, I do passionately believe that there is a better way and the, the work-life balance and all those benefits are great. But the basis for my experiment was productivity. Mm. Now, your bigger problem is the millennials are now more than 50% of the workforce. 80% of millennials will tell you that they will trade salary for more time. Okay, how are you going to attract them to work for your company? You're finding the Shake Shack in, in the United States has just got a pile of its managers moving on to four-day week. Why? Because they can't retain them. They can't attract the right people. So I'm going to put it to you. If you are a software company in Japan right here, right now, looking to recruit software engineers who might otherwise work for Microsoft, tell me how you do that. If Microsoft are saying, actually, tell you what, we're going to work, work a four-day week. What are you going to do? So you're, you wake up tomorrow morning and your biggest competitor has done this. What are you going to do? Not only is your competitor going to get better productivity, that's just a fact. Frankly, I am not aware of any company anywhere that has introduced this that hasn't had an improvement in productivity. But they are going to be stealing the best talent from under your nose. We take the best talent in our industry in New Zealand, and actually our competitors are left with the also rounds. It feels very much that the people who tried to do this, to use the lipstick on a pig metaphor, the people who just tried to use this as window dressing, which is the experiment that uh, the Wellcome Trust experiment, I, I don't want to sort of shame them because at least they were discussing it. But the people who just try it as an experiment are going to find that this might not go well. If you set about thinking, I want to change the whole way we work, I want to use this as an activation point to rethink some of the norms that we've established, but with a very 
intentional focus on productivity. Everyone needs to know the job needs to get done. You do all those things together, and it's almost like rewiring a right. new culture. So let's look at the macro, because I think the macro gets missed here. We often focus on individual companies. So first of all, and I'm going to use a bit of a spread of statistics, say, from the UK and, and, and from around the world. Let's let's start on the very simple one, the mental health one that we've talked about before. UK, one in four of the UK has got a stress or mental health issue. How productive are they? Right, they, they are 25% of your workforce today who probably by the time they get to Friday are not that productive, right? But that's part of your workforce. You give them a week where they can do two days, day off, two days, kind of go out on a limb here chances are their productivity is going to go up. If one in four have got those issues, does that then translate into other health issues? Very likely. Thank you for listening to those two episodes, two episodes on working less to achieve more. Always welcome your thoughts, comments, disagreements. Best thing you could do, actually, is share this podcast on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, or forward our weekly email to your friends. I appreciate you listening as ever. I've been Bruce Daisley. See you next time. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.